Earlier this month, former President Donald Trump entered the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse, where he pleaded not guilty to 34 counts of falsifying business records. He was booked and fingerprinted, although he was not handcuffed, nor was a mugshot taken. This was an historic event, a US president being indicted, arraigned and arrested. However, he's not the first president to be placed under arrest. Another commander-in-chief holds that dubious distinction. We're going to look now at the history of presidents who ran afoul of the law. To talk about this, I'm joined by Dr. Sandra Scanlon, lecturer in American history at University College Dublin. You're very welcome back to the History Show, Sandra. Nice to be here. The man in question was Ulysses Grant in 1872, the first president to be arrested. What did he do? So Grant was somebody who was well known for enjoying uh, Horsing. He had been a commander, obviously, of the United States uh, Union Army and widely regarded as a great horseman. And he decided to take that into his presidency. So he was carriage riding in a suburban area of the city of Washington and essentially speeding. So he was speeding in his horse-drawn carriage with friends and was warned on one occasion for doing so because this had caused injury, not specifically what he had done, but another uh, horse-drawn carriage doing something similar had caused injury to a woman and a child. So he was stopped by a police officer, William West. He was warned not to do this. He decided to ignore that. And the next evening he was out riding again and was stopped by the same police officer. And on this occasion, uh, although reports vary as to what exactly happened, he was uh, arrested and brought to the police station. The police officer in question, William West, Mm -hmm. very interesting individual. Tell me a little bit about him. He was. He was one of, at the time, one of only two African-American officers serving in the Metropolitan Police Force. He was a former enslaved person and like tens of thousands, approximately 179,000 Um, African-Americans served in the Union Army and he had done so. So he had been enslaved uh, when when Union forces moved into the South. Um, As I said, like tens of thousands of people, they moved into Union lines and offered to join the Union forces. So he had served there and then had moved to Washington and joined the, the police force. This was kind of an interesting time, this period right after the end of the Civil War in 1865, for about 10 years where African-Americans enjoyed really quite broad political freedoms, uh, the period known as Reconstruction, which you know it was kind of a remarkable period um, in which African-Americans were serving in Congress, were serving um, throughout state legislatures in the South. And, and this is one of those individuals who took that opportunity that freedom offered. This is before Jim Crow uh, took root in America in the the 1870s and and thereafter. But it must have been doubly difficult there for for West to stop Ulysses Grant, the hero of the Civil War, the the, the war that had Mm -hmm. emancipated uh, uh, black uh, enslaved people on the one hand, and also thinking about, okay, I'm about to arrest the President of the United States of America. But he did it. He did it. And it wasn't, uh, it didn't become known for a very long time. So he brought um, the, the story, the story only really emerged in 1908 when uh, when West gave an interview to a Washington newspaper. Um, although there's, you know, rumours of the story had been around for, for before that. But the, the story is that he told the president he was sorry, he would have to arrest him. And Grant allegedly replied, well, do your duty. I, I Something along the lines of, I admire people who do. You not know who I am. No, no. Okay, apparently, apparently the word was, do your duty, I 
admire people who do your duty. And the story is that Grant actually drove Wes to the police station in the carriage. Slowly. Uh, slowly, yeah. <laughs> um, in the carriage. And the carriage was taken um, into custody, as was briefly was Grant. And he was fined $20, which I think amounts to, you know, a fairly substantial amount of money. Um, by today's about $450 and was, was told he could walk home. And everything was then hushed up or it just didn't emerge? Well, the story, as I said, from the only real kind of account we have is from 1908 and this is Wes's account. And his how he described it was that essentially he was booked, he was allowed to return to the White House, he was arrested with friends also, and they were fined. The friends did, the associates did return the next day to police court and were, you know, contested their arrest, but were, were essentially told, no, you're guilty. Grant didn't return. So Grant stayed in the White House. So there's less of a hush up, I think, than simply that Grant did essentially accept the fine. The fine remained with the police. And that was that was very much the end of the matter. OK, so this happens in 1872. Mm-hmm. It puts a very interesting spin on something that is said about 100 years later. Richard Nixon mm-hmm. being interviewed by David Frost, the famous Frost-Nixon interviews, says, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. Was that actually the case? Is that actually the case? So this is something that is obviously contested, but the broad consensus is that no, that is absolutely not the case. Um, this was something that Nixon said, as you mentioned, um, after he had left office, after he had resigned, uh, very much on the back of being about to be impeached, about to be found guilty of, of, of crimes, and was, of course, then was, was pardoned by his successor, uh, Gerald Ford. And Gerald Ford really pardoned him, largely to avoid the kind of political scandal that would come from this, but also the idea that to put a president through a trial, a trial that was going to be lengthy, that was going to be convoluted, a trial that was almost certainly going to result in him being found guilty, was going to be very damaging to the nation. So the idea was that I don't really think with this pardon there was any suggestion on the part of Ford that he wasn't guilty. So when Nixon said this, this was something that was really coming years after um, he had left office. Well, a few years after he had left office, he's trying to, I think, resurrect his status, his stature in society. Um, but no, no. I mean, the idea that a president can just do anything and get away with it is is not um, is not accurate. There is, of course, executive privilege, which is the idea that the president has to have freedom of manoeuvre while in office. And therefore, um, there's executive privilege that prevents him from having to release certain information to Congress and so forth. But it's not the same thing as not being guilty of something like speeding. I know it's a what if question, which mm-hmm. we tend to try and avoid. But if he had not been pardoned by Gerald Ford, would Nixon have faced criminal proceedings or is the punishment mm-hmm. of impeachment, is that effectively the sentence on a a, a president mm-hmm. who commits crimes? Yeah, it's a really complicated one to answer because at the time Congress was in democratic hands. So as I said, there's no question um, that Nixon would have been impeached. He would have been found guilty. Barry Goldwater, a longtime supporter of Nixon, was the one who went to him in 1974 and said, look, you have to go. I will vote to impeach you. So at that point, there was a sense in which impeachment itself would have been enough of a punishment. But the reality is that we, we did have evidence at the time that there were prosecutors looking to actually take this further. And Democratic leadership was saying, no, this is such a serious crime that he has you know, interfered so much 
um, in terms of these dirty tricks campaigns, in terms of covering up what happened, that he would actually have to face prosecution, as did so many of his aides. Like, let's not forget that his chief of staff went to prison. Many of his other aides went to prison. So there was a sense, I think, at the time that, well, if they went to prison, he would have to do so similarly. Brings us on then to, mm-hmm. to Bill Clinton, um, who was impeached mm-hmm. for, for perjury. Again, he was acquitted by the, yes, by the yep. Senate. But could he also have faced uh, criminal charges for perjury, in theory anyway? I think theoretically, yes. Um, the reality is that this you know, perjury is a very serious crime. It was not regarded as serious enough um, by the Senate to warrant him being removed from office. So this is where we come into that complex issue of, is a president guilty or not guilty? Well, he may be guilty of something in the case of Grant, for instance. There was no question that he was, wasn't guilty, but there's also no question that he would be impeached or removed from office. So what we tend to find is that there's broad support for the kind of, of conviction that was not going to lead to any major political upheaval. In the case of, of Clinton, uh, he could have faced prosecution um, after the fact. There was no prosecution taken largely because of the fact that the evidence wasn't upheld um, or perceived as being sufficient by the Senate to actually warrant impeachment. Clinton did take Mm -hmm. a fall, though, in in the sense that I think he faced consequences in relation to his ability, not I'm sure that he would have exercised that, his ability, but his ability to practice law Mm -hmm. subsequently. Yes. So because of them, there were so many investigations, as we know, that were going on in relation to Clinton right from the early 90s, the Whitewater. Um, the whole issue of perjury had come come about because of his um, testimony in the Jennifer Flowers case. So there's a series of different cases that are taking place. And ultimately, he does lose his license uh, to practice law and you know does face the possibility of criminal charges in, in Arkansas. Um, they're not pursued largely on the basis that there's no direct evidence, although there's direct evidence that associates of his have been involved in criminal activity fraud, um, namely he's not. There's not sufficient evidence in those cases, but he is perceived as having been involved sufficiently that he does lose the, his license to practice law in Arkansas. So unfortunately, he wasn't able to practice law, so he had to resort mm-hmm. to making public speeches. Absolutely, for I'm not sure he was running back to Arkansas yeah, or anywhere else. Really, really. <laughs> in any case, uh, which brings us, I suppose, up to up to date mm-hmm. almost, and the arraignment of Donald Trump. Um, Alvin Bragg, uh, Manhattan DA, strong case, weak case, good idea, bad idea. At the moment, it looks like a fairly strong case. I don't think this would have have come to to the the position that it's in because it's obviously extremely politically volatile. Um, As many of your listeners will know, there have been, you know, this has been denounced. Um, almost uniformly by by Republicans, so this is this is this is not a sh- an open and shut case. It's the reality. Um, so in that sense, it's a strong case. There's been a, you know five years of investigations into the business practices. It's gone through. Obviously, it's gone through grand juries and so forth. The reality, though, is that whether or not it's going to actually, you know, what the defence is going to be in this is unknown at this point. Um, and that's what we're going to have to wait and see whether or not he's going to be able to withstand actual conviction on these matters. But I don't think this case would have come to the fore, given the level of political opposition, if there wasn't su- sufficient evidence. Whether or not it's a good political move on the part of Democrats, um, I, I would have to question. Personally, I would question this. It's seen as a witch hunt amongst many ordinary Americans wonder, what is the point of this? This is simply Democrats trying to get back at, at, at Trump. And part of that is because it is a very complicated case. It, it does involve a lot of business fraud. Uh, so it's not a straight 
you know, it's not a case of just speeding. It's not something straightforward and obvious. Even even perjury, it's not that straightforward. But of course, it's not the only case that he faces. It's Absolutely. not the only illegal danger mm-hmm. that he faces. Is Alvin Bragg, to some extent, a kind of a John the Baptist, preparing mm-hmm. the way for the Georgia DA to bring charges, making it just a little bit easier mm-hmm. for the Georgia DA to bring far more serious charges and for the, the, the two uh, Jack Smith investigations? Yeah, so there's been a lot of, you know, political back and forth about whether or not it was a good idea to bring this case if this is not just going to have the you know the effect that in some ways the Clinton impeachment did of just making people tired of hearing about these prosecutions because this is going to go on and on for quite some time. The Georgia case is much more serious. This is about a direct intervention, um, as your listeners may know, in trying to overturn um, an election, trying to you know get a Secretary of State not to to put forward the the election results um, as they stood at that time. So that's that's much more serious, and it's also more serious. Because of the fact that there were so many people in the White House, even on the day in question, saying, don't do this. This is a bad idea. This is not legal. You cannot do this. So in that sense, that case is much more serious and much more likely uh, to result in, I'm not sure if it'll result in a guilty verdict, but it's certainly much more damaging to the Trump brand and to any possibility of his return to politics. And part of this, of course, is as well about trying to prevent him from running again. You know, Democrats are very concerned about that. And I mean, obviously, there are Republicans who are decrying uh, the witch hunt of Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, who would be only delighted if any of these cases prevented him Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he is, I mean, in some ways, he's not really the figure. Um, he's just, you know, he's somebody that represents so much to so many people, um, his image, his brand. And that's something that Republicans can't let go of. They don't want to let go of the brand, but they'd be quite happy to let go of the individual. Now, obviously, in the past, Donald Trump has uh, been quite successful in avoiding legal consequences because he tended to be really was only mm-hmm. involved in civil cases and he was able to postpone, postpone, procrastinate, etc., etc., and push it out uh, into infinity. This is different. He doesn't, he's not setting the timetable anymore. So mm-hmm. I suppose there is the possibility remote, however it is, that he might end end up going to prison. What would that look like in the sense that Every former president is entitled Mm -hmm. to lifelong Secret Service protection. So would his bodyguards have to go to jail with him? This this is really unknown, to be honest. And even it would depend, of course, on on what what specific, like what the sentence was. I mean, people have talked about the possibility of some kind of house arrest, you know, minimum security or, or prison. Or Rudolph House, he could have his just, own Spandau prison. Absolutely. It's, it's hard. It's, it's not something that I think a lot of people are necessarily even sort of thinking through the consequences of. I mean, the reality is he wasn't, you know, he wasn't put in handcuffs, as you say. This is not an orange jumpsuit situation. So they are treading lightly, I think, with this. There's a very, you know, a need to, to ensure that this is seen as an proper legal investigation as opposed to a witch hunt, which many people, quite frankly, think it is. My guest is Dr. Sandra Scanlon of University College Dublin. Sandra, many thanks for joining us to talk about the history of presidents and criminality. And after the break, we'll be staying with American history as we look at the sinking of the PS General Slocum, the worst maritime disaster in New York City's history. Stay with us. <laughs> 